my name is Ruben Pillai and this is SHB Unfiltered, brought to you by the Stop Holding Back Foundation, a UK personal development charity geared towards improving the lives of people who stutter. We are the only podcast run by people who stutter, talking about a range of topics, streaming live and taking Q&A. We are committed to changing the way people think about stuttering breaking barriers and unleashing potential please support us on patreon and enjoy this next episode the change begins when you stop holding back three two one and this is shb unfiltered Episode number Chris? 18. Episode number 18 of SHB Unfiltered, which means we have been podcasting and going live on Facebook, streaming live for QA comments every single day for 18 consecutive days. How does that feel, brother? Consistency is the key to all success. Consistent, consistency. We've actually learned a lot from this process, a lot. And to be honest, it's showing us that when all this is over, doing it once, twice a week will be a walk in the park, right? Yeah. No, it should be easy to get a couple out a week. It'll be easier. It'll be tough. But in theory, like, if we can go every day and turn up same time broadcasting for everyone online within our community and people joining from other types of communities, then we would have succeeded in this lockdown period that is capturing or captivating the world right now. We are in London. London is in lockdown. We're stuck at home. So we're podcasting every single day. We are the only podcast with people who stutter and we go live. We, yeah, we people, might think, people might think, oh, but you're at home. What else could you be doing? Obviously, you're going to be able to podcast every day at the same time live but it's still hard to keep consistent with it it's not that easy even though you're at home yeah they can say that but then you ask them well what are you doing bro <laughs> yeah what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing bro <laughs> what are you doing because like say for us we got to work from home as well with our other work and then top of that work for the charity get this set up, get this up to a really good standard. And uh, we are constantly being kind of um, reached out to from so many different people who started asking us for help and appearances on their podcasts and content sharing and grant applications and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're busy, right? We're still busy. And this has given us an opportunity to zero in on some of our targets. And plus the podcast is a great way for us to share information, get our friends online and share kind of good stuff from within the Stop Holding Back community, the beautiful community that we have created for ourselves. So Chris, thank you very much for being here again, my partner in crime. No worries. Always here, always here. So before we get on to some of the serious stuff, um, just offline you're talking to me about a certain mysterious 
Yeah. That is, um, yeah, go for it, so sorry. Black the Ripper, RIP. That's like crazy, man. 2020. I thought 2019 was bad. 2020 is just as bad, if not worse. Well, f- for me personally, because of the losses that I experienced in 2019, it was a ter- terrible year for me. But 2020 is just terrible, man. And hearing about Black the Ripper is it's awful. Did they give any clues as to what causes of death were? Because in this current climate, you would would assume that it is linked to certain virus that is all over the news. But in this particular case, they haven't really told the story. So it's left people wondering. Yeah. There's been a number of rumours, and for those listening who may not know who Black the Ripper is, he's a UK grime artist. Um, he's been in the grime scene for years. I remember when I used to listen to Axe FM. If any of you real grime heads know what Axe FM is, and I used to hear Rhymestein and Black the Ripper clash and go back and forth. Rhymestein's actually a family friend of mine, so that's how I heard about Black the Ripper years ago. And it's just a really sad thing to hear. There's been a lot of rumours as to what the cause of death actually was. I've heard that he ate a poisonous fish, then I heard that he ate a poisonous fruit. He's, I think he was in Jamaica, or he is in Jamaica. Um, so... The rumours are it's been linked to something that he ate that was poisonous. Uh, people that know of him know that he was he was someone who was t- trying to get weed legalised in the UK. So he was big on that. Um, but yeah, no one really knows what the cause of death is or I don't think it's been announced or if it has, I haven't seen it yet. But apparently it's to do with something that he... Eight. It is crazy, man. Because in some of these tropical countries, there is some there's some rare stuff out there, and if you're not careful, you can get caught out. I've had my own experience, albeit I've been I've been I've been safe. I came out the other end, but I I, I have eaten uh, cobra. Wow, when in Thailand, when? obviously. Yeah. In Thailand, um, uh, when you're out there and you know you go to the night market, you've had a few drinks with the the lads from training. Thought, yeah, let's try it out. They do the whole thing where where they fry it and they turn it into some kind of a stir fry type thing, and they mix it with a bit of whiskey as well. And yeah, like um, it ends up being one of those like. Just, just, just a dumb thing to do, right? Because it doesn't really offer any nutritional value. Anything that just you if you're in to drink, Ruben. Sorry, you must have had a lot to drink to try that. Yeah, but um, I didn't see any bats right there, so um, I think I got away with it. But, yeah. but um, yeah, like I said, in some some of these countries, you don't really know what what they're going to dish up sometimes and yeah like different viruses different things going around yeah but it blows my mind because i think black ripper is from 
Montserrat, I think. So he he obviously spends a lot of time in the Caribbean, so you would have thought he wouldn't known or he would have been given information on this or the heads up if that is the cause of death. But I'm just looking online and friends are saying that they're demanding an autopsy because they're not they're not um convinced by whatever they're being told. So Yeah, um so so with his business, so um he did launch the cannabis business in California, right? Where it's legal at the moment. So um, they legalized it a few years ago, and he was making progress there. Mm. The conspiracy theorists amongst us would assume that, given that it is still a young market, and I guess you won't really have that kind of, in terms of your competition, etc., in those markets, they won't typically be your white-collar type businessman. I think you'd be surprised over in California. Yeah? I think you would be surprised. I don't know personally, but I think if it's legal, but business is business to these people, and if there's a way for them to make a profit, I'm sure that those type of businessmen would be just as willing to get involved as anyone yeah there's money to be made i suppose fair enough but that's not our area of expect expertise so we can only uh yeah about what we know right <laughs> which can only surmise which conveniently conveniently brings me on to the talking point of today which i thought would be very interesting to for for just ourselves and for our listeners understand and discuss why there are so many different types of speech therapies, speech programs, approaches, techniques, both physical and psychological and emotional, and why there isn't a definitive answer out there. If there is so much and some people doing different things, if you would have assumed that if every base had been covered, someone, someone would have stumbled onto maybe the best course of action. But why do you think there's so much? Maybe we can't answer it straight away. But Chris, if you have a good way maybe to kick it off and talk through some of the things out there and what they bring to the, ta the table. I think because there's no definitive reason or answer as to why people start to stutter in the first place, there's no clear definitive answer for how to intervene when someone has a stutter. So that's why I think there's so many different options out there. There's so many different people that are preaching different things. There's different types of speech and language therapists, speech and language pathologists. There's mindset coaches. There's life coaches that claim they can help you. There's hypnosis claims it can help you. There's so many different options out there. And I think everyone has the right to try as many 
as they can. I think they have to analyse what they think would be most suited to their personality type, what type of approach they would want to take on. And then they have, it has to be a process of elimination, really. And like with me, in my case, I went round in a massive circle. So I started with one thing, went on to the next thing, then tried other things that never really quite gave me the results I wanted. And then years later, I tried the second thing again. And then through meeting different people and them sharing their experiences with me, I was able to make progress. So, so do you think there is um, that there is an opportunity to try different things and if you do that enough, you could stumble onto something that works for you? Mm. Or maybe it's more of um, you may find the right thing but it could be the wrong time in your life? Yeah, I think that that is extremely likely to happen to you. I think depending on where you are in your life and how motivated you are with any, at any given moment depends on how much work you're prepared to put in and how much you're willing to take on board whatever the therapy is asking you to do. I think that it can be quite common where people try things at the wrong time for them. They may have had other things going on they may be too young it may be too soon for them they may not be able to give it the attention that it needs at any given time they may not be motivated long term they think they are but they really they're not so there's there's a million factors there's a million factors what have your experiences been with traditional speech therapy and has there been a massive difference between the types of techniques that they have implemented to kind of take you forward? Yeah, massive. When I was young, I remember from the age of eight to around the age of 12, no, not 12, maybe around, yeah, about 10, 11. I remember every Friday I was allowed to leave school at half past one in the afternoon. So I personally took half day every Friday. And that was because I was going to private speech therapy in Harley Street in London. And it started off one-to-one. And it wasn't really any speech techniques at that age. What it was, it was just more trying to get me to talk rather than saying, do this and do that. I think my parents were told at school I was pretty quiet this is a really contributing class and I think the therapist was just trying to get me to come out of my shell a little bit. Um, then from the one-to-one, it moved to the, th- the same therapist would then put me in a group. So there'll be a few others that may not have had a stutter, but they might have had other speech issues. So... That wasn't really specific for me. It was more to get me mixing with other kids and talking. Other kids, we done activities, we done, we played 
games that meant we had to speak. Um, and did was, that help really? You think? Do you think that helped at the time, or was it more just no. turn up, do it, and then leave and back normal? No, I don't really think so. Uh, it was just turn up, leave, and then I would just act the, the same way as I usual, as I usually would. Um, then I tried a three-day intensive that was at 13 years old, and looking back, I was way too young to be on any kind of course like that. I was pushed into doing things that were so far out of my comfort zone. It was crazy. Contacts and public speaking at 13 years old, where you just about talk at home, it was crazy. Um, I did right. do. Can I just jump in for one second to this, so you can carry on? But I wanted to also um, kind of answer this question from James Long. Hey, James, CJ, did you find that 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 just reinforced you were different and had a problem that you needed to fix? Precisely. I think so. I think a lot of I wouldn't say it's a mistake because as a parent, what do you do? You see your son struggling. You see him not able to communicate. So you feel like as a parent, I have to do something here. I have to intervene. So it comes from the best intentions. But I think at the age of eight, maybe it's just highlighting to the kid that you have got an issue. You are completely different from everybody else. You are leaving school half day on a Friday where everybody doesn't have to. So perhaps it could... I've done it. I think with me personally, it did. It did. Even though I would still go through periods of more fluent speech and then I would revert back to stuttering on every single word and then have periods of a little bit more fluent but I still stutter here and there, I still think highlight, highlighting it to me and trying to intervene at a young age, I don't think it's... I don't think it's the right thing. I just think maybe just trying to encourage the kid to talk as much as possible would have perhaps been the better route to go. But as a parent, there's no handbook for that. So there's no way to know what to do. And I'm just answering from what I think. I could be completely wrong in my own self-analysis. But the yeah, problem. your question, James. Yeah, I do think so. The problem there is we have to understand when we make these points and give our opinion, we are doing it from a position of people who were identified as PWS, a person with stutters, from a very young age. Yeah. And we are speaking from the point of view of those who actually took that into adolescence and adulthood. Because I think statistically, about one or two in 10, I think it's one in 10 of kids who experience speech impediments under the age of 10 take it further. So we were in the part of that one in 10 group. So there must be another nine out of 10 kids who actually went through that process and managed to solve it at that time and put it behind them before they like really grew up and consciously 
started absorbing negative memories. Yeah, but it's very hard to find the common denominator between the kids that didn't take it into their teens or into adulthood. It's very difficult. The most common thing I've heard, though, to be honest, from people that I've met, um, I've actually met a few people when I'm out doing contacts. Oh, I used to start when I was a kid. Okay, how did you get over it? I went to this therapist and they told me to slow down when I speak. That's the most common answer I've had. And you think, wow. I wish someone told me that when I was eight years old. <laughs> Maybe I would have been, I would have got away with it. I don't think it's as straightforward as what they said because they would have been told this like really early on before they had started to rebuild on their emotional system and develop a lot of negative memories and emotions and those types of things. So that could have like really quickly actually addressed the issue with fluency. Um, However, like with with slowing down, you have kind of tried it by yourself before um, when you're practicing and even when you're coaching as well. It isn't something that we do naturally. And maybe as a kid or as a young kid, it's easier to implement that type of change early on and make it stick and they probably would not be able to remember any of the complications around that because the fact is it took place so long ago before they developed any real emotional connections to it connections to it so they could have been so much more to it between them and the parents and therapists discussing things while they're kind of playing with toys and like going through different treatments and experiences, etc. So I don't think it's as simple as just slow down when you're five, six years old. There must have yeah. been so much more to it, so much more that went on in the background that they would not know about. And if they were aware of it, they'd probably still be starting today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you make great points there. Yeah. Also, I've, I've also heard from other speech and language therapists that say that any intervention after the age of four or five is too late. There's also speech therapists that put that argument forward. I know um, I've spoken with Anthony Hinchcliffe's girlfriend, who is a speech therapist. And she's from Australia. And there's a speech program out there for toddler specific, age from two to four, I think it is. Can't remember the name though. I've just been trying to Google it, but I can't remember the name of the program. But their belief is that they don't coach the child, they coach the parents of the toddler. And then it's up to the parents to implement that at home. And they're big on if you if the child hasn't if there hasn't been any intervention by the time the child's five years old 
then they believe that it's too late. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's that's another argument. Is the program called Balbus? Balbus? Or is that something else that I found? I don't know. Am I I'm, I'm advertising the wrong thing? Balbus is an effective online program to treat stuttering. Just sign up and access the online application to face your stutter. I might check it out later on. See how it is. But do you think it's too definitive for them to say that kind of it's too late? Because loads of people have success and get rid of it completely. Some people get rid of it to a comfortable point when they can actually succeed in their lives. And that's kind of what we are doing. Obviously, yeah. it's still there, but I don't really care anymore. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I think what anyone says could potentially be too definitive when it comes to stuttering. I've heard a story. I've got a friend, a guy called Chris. He's, he's older than me. He's a um, stand Jackson as well. No. <laughs> no, not Jackson. He'll be right there next to you. Yeah. He was, he, his story is quite interesting. So he started his whole life and he struggled. And then he met his girlfriend and he hid his stuff from his girlfriend. Hid it, hid it, hid it. Um, I think he was telling me the relationship was getting a bit rocky because of the way he was acting about trying to hide his stutter. So he was avoiding situations and not going out with her often. And it got to the point that it, nearly brought him to tears and he had to confess to her I've got a stutter and he said I loved her and because she turned around and said who cares he said something just flicked in his head the switch just flicked in his head and he was like well if the person that I love her, her attitude is who cares then now this gives me the right to freedom about it and he said from that point on, he wasn't fluent, but he was so much more comfortable with it. And then he got a job where he had to be on the phone in an office. And he just said the more he was on the phone and the more he was put under pressure, his boss forced him to cold call and make phone calls constantly for him. That over a period of time, he's just his fear and emotions around stuttering just got less and less and less. And now you hear him speak, he hardly stutters at all and he's not trying to implement any speaking technique or any breathing technique he doesn't use any tools or he's not it's not constantly on his mind i don't even think he identifies himself as a stutter anymore yeah it's just him being himself isn't it and um, yeah. it's incredible what you can do if your mindset if it's wide a certain way it's incredible Got a good question from James again. He's been killing it today. James Long, uh, do you think the reason why a child doesn't grow out of a stammer is more psychologically or neurologically based? Psychologically or neuro neurologically? Neurologically. I think it's psychologically, personally. Do you think there's a cutoff or age range where 
emphasis becomes more psychological than neurological. Yeah. No matter how young you are, you can, it can still be pointed out to you that you speak differently to the other kids. Shall I throw a spanner in the works then with that question? Yeah. As you always do, Ruben. Yeah. I'm going to add in a third variable into that question. Let me guess. Gone. Trauma? Emotional. Yeah. Yeah? So you may not remember what happened, but you remember the feeling of what happened. Yeah. Yeah, but then, um, yeah, I was going to say you could cover that with psychological, but maybe it's a little bit different. Um, I think it's different because... Maybe sometimes for some reason you get anxious in certain situations. You get anxious. Anxiety takes you over and freeze, you tense and everything. And people experience it all the time for different types of phobias. Um, got a friend who's got some kind of phobia for crabs. Yeah. Something happened to him when he was a kid when him, his dad's brother were fishing in Sri Lanka. Um, I don't know. It's just it isn't it isn't definitive. There is a a neurological root, but like with anything, we all have genetic predispositions. But doesn't mean they always have to be activated. People may not have predispositions activated for decades, and then some something crops up when they're older. I I've come across people who stutter who started stuttering when they were 30 years old. Really? Wow. Yeah. That must be so hard to deal with. I think even Ayo has come across some who started when they were 50 or something. It's, huh. it's incredible. It's incredible. As in they were going through some kind of divorce or some kind of massive life-shifting experience or period in their life that was putting so much pressure on, on, on all different parts of them, whether it's psychological, physical health, emotional health, spirit, spiritual health, everything was being pushed and tested and tested. And um, if anything, like you think that like speak therapists are unfortunately underqualified to deal with like, so much of this stuff, because the more you discuss it, the more you think about it. So many different aspects linked to it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've never started yourself, it also makes it that much harder, right? Yeah, very, very hard. Um, James does say that that's not to say we can't recode the neurological element to improve fluency. So by recode, does he mean kind of like keep it off or like... Because when I think of recoding, how much do you know about epigenetics? Um, not too much, but I have had a conversation with a GP about neuroplasticity. Yeah, yeah, neuroplasticity. And how it can be rewired. It can be recoded. It's not completely set. But I don't know, man. I don't know. 
So um, epigenetics in a nutshell is, um, is effectively saying that you aren't really controlled by what your genes have. You have the ability to control what your genes do. So you have a blueprint based on your genetic makeup. So you have your chromosomes from mum and dad, and they're in a certain pattern. But not all of them will be turned on as soon as you're born, and you will not be balding like your dad or, or like kind of as tall as your mum, or as in there will be certain things off and on throughout your life. So epigenetics works around that, which says, like, okay, this is your blueprint. This is your potential. But it's up to you to actually activate your genes based on this environment or the environment that you're in. Like classic examples, you've seen the documentaries of like twins that have been split up from when they were like kids and they grew up in completely different environments. Then they meet up when they're, when they're in their 20s or 30s and they literally look like completely different people, different experiences, different uh, attributes. Um, did you ever see that documentary with Mo Farah when he met his twin brother? No. He's got a twin brother. Okay. But they were split up when they were eight years old. So his twin brother stayed in Ethiopia. He, he got plucked out and taken to the UK because he was just really good at running. And then they did a documentary where he goes to meet him. And his twin brother just some regular boss man. Really nice guy and everything, but like you wouldn't see him look oh, this guy's got Olympic caliber genetics. Yeah. And that's kind of um the whole like environmental factors can activate your genetic potential. Okay, if that's the case then, how come you know, you have a sibling and you have a stutter and your sister don't or your brother don't. If you're both capable of the same thing, right? Just what, what, what you're trying to say, it depends on what you're exposed to. Yeah. Um, that isn't necessarily the definitive, definitive answer, but like, even though that's your brother and your sister, they are not going to have exact genes that you have. But it's easier to actually compare if you have twins mm. or make the judgment because their genetic code, their, um, they will be like really, really close, if not identical. Yeah. I mean, I have met people who have a stutter and their brother will stutter, their mum has a stutter, their auntie has a stutter, their granddad had a stutter. So it runs in the family. How much do you think genetics plays a part in it? I think there is, there is a massive element, but then afterwards, like um, depending on, on kind of what, like, approaches or therapies that the family did like to be honest like with kind of in the future if we have kids and stuff and if they start to experience stuttering as well you already know okay so 
these are the types of things I do. I'm trying to ensure their self-esteem is as high as possible, push them into competitive sports and self-defense and, and this kind of thing, like introducing them to public speaking earlier on. I don't make them feel different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what if you didn't know that? And what if you've had it, but you haven't gone through kind of like um, more of that kind of like uplifting personal growth type approaches where you know that you felt instant or not instant, but fairly immediate gains within a few months and, and now a couple of years. You know that this works. And if you had that kind of coaching, maybe specific to a younger person, like, because um, you can do public speaking as a kid. There's so many opportunities. Imagine if you were pushed into that early on when the time was right for you at that age, if you had a pathway into that. I just think it's very difficult. It's very difficult to get a kid to do that because at that age, the kid isn't interested in acceptance. The kid wants to wants to gel, wants to fit in with the crowd, wants to be like everyone else. They just want to be what they consider that time to be normal. And that's exactly how I was. I don't know if that's how you was as a kid. But for me, I just used to watch everyone talking and think to myself, I wish I could just talk like them on cue whenever I wanted any word. I wish I could just talk like them in class, read aloud in class, get involved in presentations, be confident to put my hand up and ask questions in class, answer questions in class. You know, you just want to fit in. You don't really want to hear. In order to work on your speech, you have to accept it and advertise to everyone that you speak completely differently to everybody else. Very difficult to get that concept into a child's mind. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm just saying at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, it's very difficult to explain that to them. But I'm talking about maybe even younger. Instead of going into and the kind of like voluntary stuttering and the full works that we kind of try to emphasize here, I thought like personally, I was pushed into public speaking at a young age. So I used to go um, when, I was, when I was around seven. And um, one of the big reasons was because um, I've got an older brother. And I used to love him up, man. Like, whatever he did. Who you look exactly the same as. <laughs> I really don't. But um, I used to love him up. Um, that's changed a lot now. <laughs> but everything he did, I just wanted to copy. And he started doing kind of like um, public speaking classes as a kid. And, and I wanted to go as well. So then I was in the, like the mini kids group as a six or seven year old, just reading up poems and stuff like that. And then, and then I, 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 I just actually enjoyed it because I was just doing the same thing as him. And what that does, it, even though you kind of have stuttering, like there just can't speak when I want to speak and these people speak like this, but why can't they like speak like that? You do actually get to experience positive experiences really early on. Yeah. You have that kind of hope that one day it will sort itself out as opposed to constant negative, negative. You can actually have your moments really early on 
in front of like a group of three or four other kids and teacher, just reading out like a one paragraph poem for a seven year old. That's massive. The seven year old is yeah. massive. You get clappy clap at the end and stuff, and and then they give you sweets, and then you know what I mean like it was just really good, and um, it's also positive vibes for the parents as well because they feel that they are making progress in their own way, so they would they they would be recipro reciprocating emotions positively as opposed to think oh, oh, oh nothing's working is it my fault is it his fault mm -hmm. etc et yeah yeah it's also important to explain to the parents that when the kids that age it's important to explain to the parents how important small wins are rather than massive wins as well without a doubt without a doubt like um even the parents expectations at the same time yeah. Even just um, reading out a four-line paragraph, massive, massive to like three or four other kids similar age to you, massive and stuff. And then when you get better, you can make it more fun, like do emotions if you're imitating like an animal and stuff, do the sounds and turns into a bit of drama as well, a bit of acting. So you start to um, develop these positive experiences really early on really really early on yeah so that even though you're struggling where you're out of that environment you, you kind of know well then this you kind of believe that it's not permanent and and i and i had the belief that it's not permanent and and i got the ability to actually reconcile that at some point yeah because you you had have experienced something positive and you needed to in order to realize that this isn't the worst thing in the world. I'm still able to do these cool things I'm seeing everybody else do. Yeah, definitely. And I do think speech therapists are maybe scared of pushing kids into that or encouraging kids into to that type of environment really early on. Yeah. I think they'd rather work than task on their hands though, Ruben. I think they'd rather work within the safety of, of the office. Like um I had um therapists ask me after after the last lecture at UCL where I um spoke about my experiences and their successes, like speech therapists came up to me and asked me, what's your advice for like kids these days or what should I do? And I said, look, you've got to push them. So are you sure? I said, and then if you don't, then they aren't, they aren't going to improve because you'll just be a glorified babysitter. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's one way to put it. I didn't think of it like that. But that is one way to put it. And yeah, if you're not pushing them to take action and make progress, then at the end of the day, you're just there to be, to be, yeah, well, almost a babysitter for an hour a week. And you'll be surprised with kids. Once they actually... <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. It's true, isn't it? It's true. Babysitter for a week. Yeah, quite expensive. Yeah. But, um, you'll be surprised like if you actually... If they're scared, but if you manage to get them to do it, because of the, the rush they feel, the good vibes, they, they would want that again and again. It's like sugar to them. Sugar. Yeah. When you're older, you, you, you're a bit more suspicious, you're a bit more risk averse, 
But when, when they're young, like, that's your time to actually kind of like make them go for the kill. Make them go for the kill. Yeah. Yeah, I used to seek that kind of buzz through sports because I know I'll never get it through speaking opportunities, but that's the only, that was my expressive outlet. That's where I could, that's where I could get a bit of satisfaction, a bit of a buzz. I could perform, you know. But yeah, if you can get that buzz early on with your speech, then it's only going to motivate you to want more and more and more. And when you say buzz, you probably kind of also gain your self-esteem there, right? Because you, because you kind of, it's being damaged every time you have a negative speaking situation. Well, at that age, be compensated. Exactly, be compensated when you're playing basketball and you're ripping everyone to shreds and just killing it. Yeah, of course. Uh, Really good points from Facebook from. James, SLTs don't get the funding either to implement their own ideas. If they're looking after so many kids, then they don't have the time or energy to be able to show ingenuity. But I could challenge them and say, well, why don't they just um, like encourage the parents to say, All right, just take them to this, this, and this place and see how it goes. Or, or they don't have to, to do it themselves. Or they could outsource some of the comfort zone pushing to like drama schools or or to like speech and language uh, coaching to elocution classes because there's things out there and they don't have to think outside the box at all have they got a specific criteria they have to stick to they're not allowed to think outside the box at all try different things implement some of their own ideas is funding really the issue or are they restricted by other like legislation well i don't i don't think it's necessarily funding if they are kind of pointing or signposting parents to to maybe different organizations that that can help it's um like say for me for example like if i went to the doctor and the doctor said like you're really unfit you need to lose some weight he won't be the one taking me to the gym and putting me in treadmill who told me to go to a PT or to join a yeah. class. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be him like, waking up with me at 7 in the morning running around for 10K. The only issue with that, though, Ruben, the only, issue, the only issue with that is your GP, you're generally not paying them. Whereas if you're paying like Harley Street prices and they tell you to go somewhere else, they're going to be like, the parents will be like, well, what am I paying you for? Yeah, but it's kind of like if they want to progress, I don't, I don't know that they, they have to, or if that's their aim, as in you've got different, you've got conflict of interest maybe. I've got... Um, well, they can just explain that there's a holistic approach and these different things, this plus this plus this, what we call massive progress. Yeah, but in, in, the, in the end, like... Um, politics within organizations, different agendas, ideas, conflicts of interest, is it in their best interest to lose clients to the local drama school? Yeah. Got another good point from James. He said, that's a good point, Ruben. Thank you very much, James. (laughs) I love how you want to point that out, Ruben. (laughs) 
Of course, mate, of course. It's, it's important, it's important. Gassing him up, James. Yeah, just in case in the future when we actually don't have the comments available, we've got the audio here to look back on. Oh, yeah. You see what I did there? And just in case anybody missed it, you just made sure that they knew. Mm-hmm. It would be good, actually, if we could one day get a speed therapist on here just to um, kind of like um, discuss because quite, quite a lot of the things we say are from things we read or opinion or conspiracy theories. Yeah. So it would be good to actually get some facts because I know that um, they will have their own point of views. So I would... You know what? I'm going to make a mission actually to find a speech therapist. Yeah. Get on the podcast, yeah. dude. Get on the podcast. Chris, um, I think you're wrapping up in the next 10 minutes. Um, do you have any, any questions, points, anything that has come to mind in the past one hour? Yeah. In, in your opinion, what is the right time for intervention? Because we're discussing what options there are out there, but for the individual, when when is it right to intervene? In your opinion, it depends what you class as intervention. Because I think ASAP, and by ASAP I mean parents need to get clued on really quickly, mm-hmm. clued on really, really quickly. So by the time they eventually may have to take their kid to the therapy room. It's not too late. Parents need to get clued on like ASAP, 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 ASAP. So maybe they can start to implement things at home. Yeah. I early on, early on, early on, early on. Now if things start to carry on, then you may have to look for specialist advice and take intervention to the next level and actually intervene. But early on, early on, early on, parents need to get, parents need to wake up, stop, stop blaming each other, stop blaming the kid, stop blaming themselves. And don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> Literally like, kind of like wake up because <laughs> this is someone's life. At, so someone's life is at stake here in so many different ways. So it sounds extreme, but now it's a time where if things don't change, their life path could be altered very, yeah. very differently. It is so hard for the parents, everyone, because any decision they make, anything that they try and implement, it could, one wrong move, it can have such a lasting effect. Of course, but then you can say the same about kind of other aspects of parenting, because yeah. like, with, with that being rude, like um, I've seen some like four or five year olds who are over, uh, overweight, but they are actually obese. Yeah. And they aren't born like that. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. it's like different habits and different, like um, it's not just hearsay again. I used to work as a full-time football coach. So I was um, speaking to like 150 to 200 different um, different kids every week coaching 
and meeting their parents, going to a range of schools from inner city, comprehensive to boarding schools. And you can see like different dynamics between kids and parents and and you'd be surprised the apple does not fall far from the tree. Yeah. The apple does not fall far from the tree. You'd be surprised. And more often than not, kids won't listen to what you're saying, but they will copy what you're doing. Okay, another question I've got for you. Before Go we wrap this up, the last one that I have. Let's do it. Finish strong. If parents have a kid who begins to stutter, yeah. do you think it's more important for the parents to help that child work on their self-esteem immediately or start to work on their speech in terms of taking them to a speech therapist as quickly as possible? Self-esteem. Self-esteem. <clears throat> Chuck them into like sports, combat sports, like get them to roundhouse kick a few kids. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking in that sense, but get them to actually build confidence in other areas of their life. So get them really good at, so maybe they like to go and start encouraging them to express themselves through art and sport and healthy and healthy and get them around them around people a lot of time, a lot of time. And then bit by bit, like, is eventually taken to see so that can be seen as a different type of class that they do alongside their sports or or drama or anything like that. Dance. Like um like there's so many examples of people when they're older they have overcome their stuff and despite this, this and this, but like quite a lot of the famous people they've had innate talents that they've been honing for a number, number of years. Gareth Gates is like, he came second in Pop Idol and had all these singles and stuff, but he was actually actively like going to singing classes and, and, and like playing instruments and stuff. Mm. You don't just work that out by yourself in a speech therapy. Yeah. And then, but then this is something that he was pushed into when he, when he was a kid, like footballer, sportsman, yeah, fair enough, they're going through problems, but their parents made sure that they were pushed into different things. But they knew that at some point these skills would be able to like help them in their speech. Yeah. If the speech wasn't rectifying itself as they grew up. So definitely. 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 Yeah, smash the question, Chris. Yeah, smash it out of the park. Out of the park. All Let right. Your answer. The answer, that's actually the route that my parents took up until the age of eight. They made sure that I had activities all the time. I was always part of every after-school activity, football on the weekend, made sure I was mixed with as many kids as possible. So, yeah. But like we said before, you just never know. There's no definitive answer. There's no clear route to success with intervention when it comes to kids. Yeah, definitely. And in the end, who cares if you've got a stutter if your kid is like the under-10s world jiu-jitsu champion? <laughs> yeah. Or, or like the world high boxing champion. Yeah, but it's still not nice to see your kids struggle to get words out. You know, 
no matter if they are the under 10s London table tennis champion or whatever they might be yeah of of course of course and um for them it will be damaging to their kind of confidence and embarrassing all kind of stuff that's why it's so important to give them other ways of expressing like their confidence and building their self-esteem they can tap into that when things aren't so good their speech because if they didn't have that then what would they have yeah their own thoughts and their own negative emotions just churning 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 marinating within their head yeah for sure definitely cool chris i think we are at a good point to actually call it an evening while the sun is out i'm getting a bit hungry as well it's perfect yeah have you got any last words before we say adios to our friends no no last words for me today just thank you for everyone that commented for being part of the podcast uh interesting point raised and look forward to podcast 19 tomorrow oh yes hey we're almost at 20 it's brilliant <laughs> um same from me as well thank you very much as always thank you to chris for mate we are killing it killing it <laughs> we're smashing it we're smashing, smashing it the podcast out every day yeah. smashing it but again guys cheers thank you so much and as always please remember stop holding back